Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. We'll be speaking about use your weaknesses for growth. This class is dedicated in honor of Rivka Batleya for immediate and complete healing and recovery. Dedicated by her son, Alan Dorfman. The words we share here go to her merit especially talking about a topic which is, of course, affects her and her family and so many of us. And that is when we're dealing with setbacks, when we're dealing with challenges, and we're dealing with weaknesses. It's an inevitable part of life that we all have our challenges, our weaknesses, our weak points. And how you deal with them defines your life. It's one thing dealing with success when things are going well. That too is an art to make sure that you appreciate your gifts and have gratitude and humility. But particularly when we're in hot water, when we're in situations where we're deeply challenged, that's where you can either see how a human being shines or unfortunately succumbs. And that's the topic. This week, Sunday, was a rare occurrence, something that happens, they say, maybe 20 times in a century. What they call a supermoon, complete lunar eclipse. A lunar eclipse, of course, is a total lunar eclipse. A supermoon and a total lunar eclipse is when the Earth's shadow completely covers up the moon. So for over an hour, this eclipse was on a Sunday night in the United States, everywhere in the United States, also in parts of South Africa, South America, as well as Europe. But it was also coincided with a supermoon. A supermoon is what is called when the moon is closest to Earth, so it literally appears, appears 14% larger than usual. And you can see it even now. Some also call it a blood moon. So it's a super blood wolf moon. Why? Because a blood moon is when there's a total eclipse, it causes a red hue, a red tint. So when you look at the moon during the eclipse, it's like reddish. It appears reddish. And there's reasons for that. It's not so relevant to our discussion. A wolf moon is when it's a lunar eclipse in winter. Um, I'm sorry, in the month of January. So bottom line is, there's an interesting convergence here. And things that happen in the celestial bodies on a cosmic level also exist within our microcosm. The mystics teach a fascinating idea that the moon, the moon <clears throat> is within each of us in microcosm and it reflects our lives. More than the sun even. In what way? When you look at the moon, you'll see it waxes and wanes. It waxes and wanes. It's never the same every night. There's a different part of the moon that reflects to Earth. So you have the new moon, you have the first quarter, the full moon, the second, the third quarter, and then again the process repeats itself. The sun, though it goes through its own shifts, but nevertheless, it's mostly consistent sunlight shining. <clears throat> what reflects more life? That consistent intensity of the sun? Or the ups and downs and the waxing and waning of the moon? I think the answer is obvious. 
So the moon reflects our lives. And just as the moon goes through its cycles, we go through our cycles. That's what life is about. Navigating the vicissitudes. Navigating the ups and downs. Now, when you add to the equation a lunar eclipse, and on the other end, it's like a supermoon, a moon that's so large, it makes it even more fascinating as the plot thickens in its relationship and how it reflects in our lives. And there are many lessons we can glean from it that can help us deal with our own personal eclipses. When we are in the shadows, when our light is eclipsed, even momentarily, what it teaches us, what we can learn from it, how we become stronger. And indeed, it actually reveals a part of us that you cannot see when there is no eclipse. So the eclipse of the moon actually reveals a component in the moon that you don't see during regular nights. And this is what we'll all be speaking about. Everything is divine providence. The fact that this happened this week is really fitting to the theme that we're discussing. Using your weaknesses to, to achieve growth. Now, let's just dissect what happens to a human being when we're faced with a challenge. And we suddenly feel weak, debilitated, demoralized. So two things are happening simultaneously. One is the actual setback, the actual event, the actual cause that is causing us to be in that type of state. It could be an outside force. It could be an inside force. It could be the enemies within, your own demons, your own fears. Or it could be something else that happened to you at work or at home or just in the street. So there's the event itself objectively has caused you, like throwing you a a curveball, which causes you to have to figure out what to do. It's a challenge. But there's a second thing that's happened simultaneously, and that's harder to detect. That's our emotional reaction to that event, to that experience. And this is really where the real battle takes place. We cannot control the curveball that will come our way. But how are we going to, what our attitude will be, how we're going to respond that we can control. But what happens is when we're thrown a curveball, the first thing we have, either shock or surprise, or as I said, being disturbed or demoralized, a whole series of emotions are triggered when we're faced with that situation. Just think the last time of something that happened, you got something in the mail that was not pleasant news, or you got a phone call, or you heard something in, in the grapevine. That was not initially positive for you. The first thing is right away, oy vey, what am I going to do? There's almost an, el- an element of like helplessness, feeling like the rug was pulled out from under you. Now, of course, it's a wide spectrum of setbacks. There are real serious traumas and real serious losses and things that are a lot, not less. Obviously, each of us has to fill in the, the, fill in the blanks to apply it to our personal lives. And I don't want to focus on one particular weakness. I want to focus as many as possible because each of us will deal with different types of challenges like that. But whatever it is, there's going to be an emotional response. And the emotional response is actually separate from the actual experience. What you'll see and what we'll discuss is that when you can learn to separate the two, that's the beginning of learning to control the situation. So... Well, using a, a simple example, you're a good swimmer. 
You're swimming in, in unknown waters. Now you're skilled, you know how to do it, you've done it many times. Then suddenly a storm strikes. So what does a good swimmer do? Looks, checks out and sees the situation, sees the tide, which way the tide is going, the waves, the intensity. And a good swimmer will immediately adjust accordingly. Just like a good driver will adjust to the winds or to other forces. We adjust. And what is the good swimmer going to adjust to? If it's a very strong tide or a very strong storm, he or she is not going to fight the waves. They're not going to fight the storm. They'll relax and allow themselves to be carried. Because they know it'll deplete their energy if they in any way begin to fight and try to make it through. Someone who's less skilled and less experienced may try to fight and literally lose their energy, which can become dangerous. So what are you doing? You're adjusting. You're not changing the fact that there's a storm. That you cannot change. That happened. You're in the water. You're adjusting to it quickly in a way that you can then navigate through that particular challenge. The same thing you'll see with great athletes. Let's say a tennis player, and they suddenly a ball is hit to them unexpectedly. What they will do is immediately adjust accordingly based on their experience. And in every situation, all experienced people know how to do that. They adjust. It doesn't always mean it's going to work perfectly, but the adjustment is necessary. So if you're able to distinguish between the challenge or the weakness that you're now that is now exposed or anything that makes you vulnerable and your ability to adjust that's the beginning of how you resolve issues so in the context of our personal lives we have to look at our lives in this way that life is a navigational is a journey and the journey has ups and downs and it has twists and turns and there'll be unexpected events, there'll be back, backlash, there'll be setbacks, there'll be losses. It all comes down to how you navigate. So let's now go back to the moon. The moon is not necessarily alive, even though there are opinions that the moon has an intelligence to it. But the moon is a natural cycle. It naturally is constantly going through waxing and waning, teaching us that that's life. It's perfectly fine to know that every day your light shines a bit differently. Now I should qualify and say this. Obviously the moon is always bright as it's facing the sun. We're talking about the moon's effect on earth. The light that shines to us, which affects the tides, which affects um, the, the, the nocturnal life and other growths that grow under the moon, light, and so on. So the moon, as it reflects to us, is constantly going through shifts. And when you look at it, study it, it's actually a great lesson in life. The lesson is that a moon will go through cycles. Now, we don't necessarily go through the cycles literally like the 29 days of the month, of the lunar month. But the idea that there'll be times where you'll be a full moon, that's in a great mood, you're exuberant, you're shining forth, you're illuminating. And there'll be times when you're very, like, almost disappear. The birthing, but it's the birth of a new moon. And there'll be times like the first quarter and times like the third quarter, where the moon is a crescent, a quarter, could be a little more, a little less, and every day of the month, the moon has its own particular stage. That is navigation. So the moon within each of us, 
each of us is like a moon. We need to receive light from a source, which is our, first from our parents, our educators, our mentors, our teachers, all those that inspire us. At the same time, we also give off light. So the moon has those two dimensions. It's receiving and exuding. But it does so in, this, in a cyclical, in a cyclical, cyclical way, reflecting the navigation I just described. So something comes in a situation your way, say to yourself, you know what, my moon now is undergoing a certain diminishment. That doesn't mean you're less, it means you need to adjust accordingly. <clears throat> like a wheel that's turning. Think of it like the heartbeat. The heartbeat is always a, a pulsating energy going to and fro, tension and resolution, contraction, expansion. The breath, exhale, inhale. It's a process. And you never stop traveling. And you realize it's all part of one journey. So even as the, the total diminishment of the moon is part of the journey for the rebirth of the moon to begin its light, its cycle, its new journey again every month. In Hebrew, actually, the month, the word month, chidush. Chidush comes from the word chidush. Renewal. It's a new moon. Now you'll say it's the same moon that was there, but I'm talking again, it's a reflection. It's a new reflection, a new moon after it's been diminished. Telling us that life is a journey. Never think that any frame of your life is independent from other frames. Because that's where we can really, it can really overwhelm us. So when you're in a certain situation, you suddenly feel that this is it. This is now a real setback. If you don't recognize that it's a journey and this moon will continue to travel and the setback is not going to remain this way, then there's strength and confidence to move forward, to forge ahead. But if you convince yourself that my moment, remember the emotional reaction of demoralization takes over, then besides the actual setback, the actual diminishment, you've now turned it into a liability. When in truth, all it is really is a step, a stepping stone, a step in a journey. We'll soon talk about what is it a step toward. But just like when we go to sleep at night, and when we fall asleep, our faculties go down to a lower level. Why? Because our body is being regenerated, refreshed, our soul and our body. So if someone comes and meets someone, that's, sees someone asleep, say, well, look, wow, it's asleep, the person is not functioning properly. That's if you don't know what sleep is. But when you understand that sleep is just a step of regenerating to wake up in the morning fresh and refreshed anew, then it's a whole different approach. Then you essentially... <clears throat> you essentially see the sleep as a step toward that type of refreshment. Same like the moon, and the same in our attitudes. The difficulty is, these things, examples I'm giving of the moon and of the sleep, are all natural processes. What we need to do is apply that to our attitude exactly the same way. Now, of course, nobody likes a setback. Nobody likes being diminished. Nobody likes a weakness. But it's part of the reality. And if you see it as a stepping stone, if you see it almost as a time, as business people will say, that when the market is, when, the, when, when business is slower, it's a greater time to reassess, to take accounting, to take inventory, to review the processes. Because when you're in full swing of business, you can't step back and just review things. 
So that's a perfect time of reassessing your business. The same thing is when there is a so-called setback and you're in a state, you're in a weaker state, it's an opportunity to reflect, to be introspective, to prepare. So when you enter the next phase of your moon, the next, the next phase of your lunar cycle, you'll be empowered with this accounting and this preparation. Now this, what I've discussed so far, is strictly about the moon every month on an ongoing basis. We didn't talk about a supermoon, we didn't talk about eclipse. But now let's enter into the domain of what happened this week and its particular lesson. But I want to again sum up. Each of us has a moon-like feature. That is our, the recipient within us. In the words of the Kabbalists, the moon is called the light, the energy of the recipient. It's interesting. You usually think a recipient, <clears throat> a recipient is just in a passive state, just receiving. It's not correct. The act of receiving requires energy. It requires setting aside other agendas, requires concentration, and requires focus and absorbing that which is coming your way. If the moon was busy with its own interests and not turning toward the sun and facing to reflect it, it wouldn't be the moon. So the moon-like energy, by definition, is a recipient, but it's an energy. As a matter of fact, the better you listen, the better you can speak. The more you absorb information, the more you can teach information. Those that listen well will be listened to. Those that don't know how to listen, you say to yourself, you know what, maybe it's a very smart person, but they've never been in a mode of absorbing, of sensitivity, of caring. So if you think of it that way, that adds another dimension to it that the moon cycles are part of that process, the process of when it's in total absorption mode, that's when it's not giving off any light to earth, or when it's in a mode of when it's giving full light, when it's then transmitting. But the transmitting is only because it absorbed. So there again, what we would call, someone would call a weakness, can actually be a strength. Why? Because the weakness is really a state when you should be absorbing, you should be taking account, you should be uh, taking stock, as I mentioned before. So that is part of, that's the moon energy. Now comes situations from time to time that the moon is eclipsed. Now we know an eclipse, a lunar eclipse, is that the sun, which is usually reflecting the, the moon, reflected in the moon and its angle reaching earth. But what happens when the earth gets between the sun and the moon? So this earth's shadow is cast on the moon, and that's when you have an eclipse. It can be a partial eclipse, it can be a total eclipse. The Talmud actually does not associate it with a positive thing. It says a lunar eclipse has a negative implication. But yet it's part of nature, and it's part of our reality. Now here's the interesting paradox. When it's a supermoon, the moon is at its largest, at its closest, and yet there's a total lunar eclipse like this week, so it's like a paradox. Which one is it? Is the moon as bright, the brightest it could be, or is it totally eclipsed? And both came together. Then this rarer convergence of a supermoon, total lunar eclipse of a supermoon. And it's interesting that it's connected to the red hue, red, as opposed to blue. Usually the, the moon 
And the regular itself is like grayish, silverish blue. During this type of total lunar, lunar eclipse, it's reddish. So we're going to talk about all these different elements. So what is a lunar eclipse? So let's draw, what is, it, what is an eclipse? An eclipse means that in addition to its regular waxing, wax, waxing and waning, <clears throat> here a force from outside that's not part of the, the moon's regular cycle, to talk about the earth, is causing the moon to be eclipsed for a certain period of time. Now, as soon as the eclipse is over, the moon gets back to where it began. It doesn't get, doesn't get forever compromised, only during this eclipse. So, <clears throat> so what is the significance of that? The significance of that is that in life, there will be times when you will be eclipsed by either events, people, experiences. And eclipsing is not just the regular cycle. There'll be a serious eclipse. An eclipse can be a trauma. It can be a uh, loss, a death. It can be that you're over, someone else is chosen, and you're fired, or you're demoted, and someone else is promoted over you. Where you feel literally eclipsed. Eclipsed by another force. This is more than just the regular cycle. The regular cycle, you could say, I understand that life goes through its stages. And it's a journey. But an eclipse is an intense thing. And it's completely not up to you. Something's eclipsing you. So what happens at that point? What happens is that it exudes a red hue, not a blue. Why red? So there's the scientific reasons. But in the Kabbalistic and mystical reasons, the blue and red reflect two forms of energy. Blue is connected to chesed to kindness and love. It flows forward, color of water. The color of the moon, it's regular, lightish, whitish, grayish, bluish. Red reflects gavura, intensity, severity. You see it even psychologically. Why do you think red lights are used? Because red is like forbidden. Red is a warning sign. Stop. Stop sign, red. Red elicits in us a type of almost like a fear, or at least a refrain. So in the flow, or in the, I should say in the balance of the spheratic balance of the ten spheres, chesed and gvura, chesed on the right, water, gvura on the left, severity, fire. Fire is, is yellowish red. So both of them are necessary. In uh, psychologically speaking, Blue, as I said, is love giving. Red is more judgment, discipline, refrain, restraint. Sometimes justice is reflected in that color. So when it comes to a time of an eclipse, what's eclipse? It's a form of gvura. It's a form of concealment. It's also used sometimes as concealment. We talk about in the Lurianic concept of the tzimtzum. The tzimtzum is the great concealment of the divine that's considered a form of gvura, concealment. So the eclipse of the moon is a state of gvura. So in our lives, we will have times when chesed, love and kindness, is bestowed upon us. It shines, grace, moments of grace in our lives. And there are times where it seems that the blessings are not revealed, where we feel eclipsed, where we feel that something is not working right.
I don't want to use the word curse because it's not a curse. But it could appear that way to some. So we have the blue moments in our lives and we have the red moments in our lives. We have the moments when things are shining forth. Yes, the cycles that the moon goes through. And then there are times when we are actually eclipsed for a period of time. It could be a short time, it could be a little longer. When it's a total eclipse, we've been totally eclipsed. An example for that is when, yes, when you suffer a loss, loss of a parent, loss of a close one. What do you feel like? You feel completely lost. Your whole being is eclipsed. Everything about you, your energy, your personality, your exuberance, your enthusiasm, all suddenly is concealed. It's eclipsed by the tragedy or trauma of your life. God should protect us all, but it happens. Same thing can be other forms of trauma, abuse. Anywhere where your personality, your dignity, your malchus, remember the moon is malchus, your malchus, your dignity is eclipsed through humiliation, through betrayal, through abandonment, through abuse, through invalidation. The list goes on, that's an eclipse. That's not the regular cycles. We all go through cycles every day, every month, day of the month, every part of our lives. This is more than just a cycle. This is an actual abandonment. This is an actual eclipse. But even that, as we are going to talk about, leads us, can lead us to greater strength. So it is an eclipse. At the moment, it is not something that anybody looks forward to. But it happens. Now, it's even more powerful when it happens, more dramatic, I should say, and more traumatic when it happens when we're at full strength. So a supermoon is when the moon is at its full strength. If you look up in the sky these days, these nights, you'll see the moon is very large. So suddenly, that's eclipsed. It's one thing, an eclipse, when the moon is at its regular size. But here you're at full strength. You were going so well. Everything was really working. And suddenly, eclipse. So the trauma and the impact and the demoralization that comes from it can be much deeper. And yet at the same time, the supermoon does not become less of a supermoon. It's just not seen at this moment. And that's the key thing to remember. An eclipse is as the name implies. It's eclipsing. It's not destroying. It's not annihilating. In psychological terms, when the moon, <coughs> the moon of our dignity, is in some way compromised, it means it's gone undercover. It's been concealed or it's been, in a way, stripped away from us by somebody eclipsing us. But you should never, ever think that your moon has disappeared. It has not. Because if you wait the hour or whatever the time is, the eclipse will leave. The earth, as the orbit continues, the moon will reemerge. And what will it emerge as? A full moon, not just as a little moon. It's not even a new, a new, the beginning of the month. It's always on the 15th of the month. And will emerge in its full glory as a super moon. So you'll say, so what is this a point of the eclipse? The point of the eclipse is God's mysterious way. Sometimes it may be something to get us, to wake us up, a wake-up call, to stimulate within us the motivation to move forward. And it's also, in the Kabbalistic terms, a reflection of the eclipses of life. Life has its setbacks. Life has its difficulties. 
but you should know that the moon does not disappear. So to speak about it in psychological terms, a child that grows up in a home, unfortunately, that's dysfunctional and abusive, or any person who goes through a serious form of trauma, where their soul, their spirit has been eclipsed. As I said before, there's the experience and there's how we react to the experience. The reaction is far worse than the experience. Because the reaction is, look what's happened to me. I'm worthless. I have no value. It causes us to lose self-esteem. It it causes us to have fear, insecurities. Now, if you were able to dissect and say, okay, this happened to me, but it's not me, it's a very different attitude, but we don't do it that way. Especially children absolutely take it to heart that if I'm rejected, if I'm invalidated, if I'm eclipsed, that means I deserve to be eclipsed. And they com- they, you can convince yourself to think that your light is no longer there. Comes a lunar eclipse and says that's not true. Even if there is an eclipse, for whatever reason, your light is completely intact. It's critical that you remember that and never forget it. Because maybe for that moment, for that temporary time, you were eclipsed due to someone else's criminal behavior, someone else's um, horrendous behavior. But you and your dignity, your malchus, did not disappear. Momentarily, that's not shining. It's covered up. Only to reemerge with even more intensity because now you appreciate what your light is about. So in therapeutic terms, every time you deal with someone who's gone through difficult times, trauma or other forms of eclipses and shadows, what you really want to help them achieve is to reconnect to the light that's there even during the eclipse and to reconnect to that so they can reemerge and come out even stronger. That's really the goal of everything. But we get so consumed by the eclipse and its effect on us, that becomes the haunting force that haunts our lives, that we deserved it, that we're worthless, we're not valuable enough. So what responds to the red you is a tremendous abundance of chesed. Because once the eclipse is over, the sun, the moon goes back to its natural light, the light of chesed, of blueness, the light of, of love. So love is the antidote. When you love someone who feels they don't deserve love, and gives you a whole case of why they don't, because look at the, my people who were supposed to love me, my family, my parents and others did not, you still love them. And you show this unconditional love. That unconditional love helps them reemerge and blossom as the full moon they deserve to be. So we have a, a, a full moon, a, a super moon. It's always a full moon, the eclipse. But it's now not just a full moon, it's the largest moon in its proximity to Earth. And that's eclipsed. That's on one end, it seems like a very big trauma. On the other end, it also leads to a tremendous amount of revelation. And that's what we work toward. To recognize the moon within you, the malchus within you, the dignity, the force inside of you that nobody can take from you because no one gave it to you. And it's always there beating, like a heartbeat. It's always ticking, waiting for you to embrace it. That is the key to all of it. You have to embrace your inner light. Now, in many ways, that light is a lot more powerful than the light of the sun. 
The sun is a transmitter. It has the fuel. Spiritually speaking, it is the force that has all the energy to give and exude. The moon is a far more subtle, far more even romantic, you could say, far more mysterious, mystique. Because on one hand, it gives off light, but it's not the intensity of the sun. On the other hand, the light is, as I said, is a receiving type of light. But that's the beauty of life, to be able to celebrate your vulnerability. Because the moon is the vulnerable one, the sun is the invulnerable one. We have a sun within us as well, but that's not for tonight, today's discussion. The vulnerable part is how you deal with it. And vulnerability is not a crime. And vulnerability is not a problem. Love, true love, is celebrating your vulnerability. The vulnerability of the moon being capable of being eclipsed. The vulnerability of the moon that it needs to receive. The vulnerability of children who are dependent on their parents for love and nurturing and sustenance. So even if there is something that's compromised, know that who you are remains intact. Now if you have loving parents and everything is going well, then on the contrary, it nurtures you and builds that self-confidence. But even if there's an eclipse, never forget that you remain intact. And even your formative years, when you're impressionable, like the moon, and receiving and absorbing, ultimately that will serve you well. So even if there's an eclipse, you will emerge in full glory. That isn't just a promise. It's the way we're wired. What's sad is we don't always believe it in ourselves. If you don't believe it, you're running a marathon. Someone says, you can do it, you can do it. And at some point you say, I'm exhausted, I can't do it. You're no longer objective. So the mere fact that you give up is what doesn't allow you to reach the finish line. That's why we need mentors, we need coaches. We need people who say, no, you could do it, you could do it. You have, the, you have it within you. And you say, I don't feel it. Your feeling is not what matters here. Now, obviously, you have to go at your pace, and we don't, this, uh, we don't uh, invalidate somebody's feelings. That's why it's important to be sensitive and be caring and help someone go at their pace. But the key word is go. You need to travel. So maybe a spiral staircase, the famous analogy of the Baal Shem Tov, <clears throat> where when you go on a regular staircase, you see the destination maybe many steps up. Spiral staircase, you don't see the destination. You have to constantly make another revolution with your back completely facing the other way and you may think that there is no destination. I'll never reach there. And before you reach the apex, the top, you make another final turn completely faced the other way but you're the closest to the destination and you don't even know it. And if you just see it through and you move forward, you reach the place. So it's the confidence in looking at the moon and seeing here's an eclipse, it's a total eclipse of the moon, a total eclipse even when it's a full supermoon, and yet, and it's red, the gvura, the tzimtzum, the concealment, the restraint, the, com- the covering, and yet, keep looking, and it emerges. Same with our story, it emerges. At the moment, you may lose sight, That's why you need to remember before you enter that place, before the eclipse. And you need to have people who remind you even during the eclipse. And that's how we hold on. And that's how we journey and travel. So the lesson from this is a tremendous lesson that affects every one of us because we all will go through our setbacks, 
our difficulties, our challenges, the times when we will feel like we're in the shadows, and there are times that we'll feel eclipsed, and times that we feel unappreciated, misunderstood. But the key is not to have self-pity. The key is not to indulge in our own self-pity. The key is not to uh, marinate in your own misery. But rather, look at the picture and say, this is a step in the process. And the step is leading to the beautiful moon that I am. The dignity of the malchus that each one of us deserves and has within us all the time. I've personally seen people who've gone through difficult times in life. Some things that are just unspeakable. And yet, you look closely, you could find the moon shining inside them. Sometimes they don't even know it. They say, not, not me. Not in this lifetime. And it's absolutely not true. It's absolutely possible. Now, you may not see it. That's why you need to have people you trust. And you need to have love. Because love, the blueness of love, counters the redness of restraint and justice and severities. And you come to realize, as the mystics explain, that even in the red kvura, there lies even more energy. Because as I said before, there's energy that flows forward like chesed, the blue energy. But the energy of restraint, when you recognize that the times when we're eclipsed comes from the root of rural roots, from a force that conceals, to conceal takes more energy than to reveal. If you think of a smart individual and you ask them a question, it's harder for them to not answer than to answer. They have what to say. But to exercise restraint and hold back that which you have off- what you have to offer takes more energy. So the Kabbalists explain and the Hasidic discourses elaborate that the divine force, Hain Hain Gvuraisov, God's red Gvura, to withhold takes more energy than to exude, than to bestow. But that energy is inverted. Think of it like a black hole. A black hole has more energy than a regular star. It's so powerful that the gravitational pull doesn't even allow light to escape. So you look at it, it's a black hole. It's eclipsed by a force that's drawing in, that's sucking its energy inward. But imagine that energy is even stronger. Imagine you tap into that energy. Then you have even more energy than the energy that you see, the light that you see. So again, we have to always look at it. What is the potential? Where is it heading? Not what it looks like right now. Right now it looks like an eclipse. Right now it looks red. Right now it looks concealed. But because of it, 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 it elicits even a greater strength. When a person who's lived a life where they've always had enough to drink, enough to eat, they never experience thirst. They don't really appreciate necessarily what water is all about. <clears throat> Someone who's gone through a parched and desolate land and they've really experienced thirst. When they get water, Look at how they drink the water. Look how they appreciate it. Because within, concealed in the black hole of the eclipse, concealed in that red hue of the eclipse, lies tremendous energy. Within the child that has been hurt lies a tremendous 
power that has not yet been released. And power can take the shape of anger, it can take the shape of frustration, it can take the shape of bitterness. Why me? It can take the shape of a lot of things that are not positive. Because that's sometimes how it expresses itself. But if you harness it and redirect it and channel it, it takes the shape of turning into a beautiful, powerful super moon. The super you. The real light that you have. So how do you get there? As I said, you need to have that preparation before the journey to know that when there's an eclipse, it's only a temporary and, it only ca- and it's only there to bring out better strength, greater strengths from us. Have people that are objective. The more you learn about your soul and your own inner strengths, the more you focus on that prayer we say every morning, the soul you have given me is pure, coming from the highest levels. These are things that you hold on to for your dear life that help you get through these situations. Identify in your life skills you have. Talents, whether natural or acquired, and focus on them. Never allow yourself to succumb, to focus on negative, what you're not, how, how incapable you are, how incompetent you are, how loser you are. If you have such feelings, sit down and write, okay, I have those feelings, here are some of my strengths. And act on them, do something. It could be through writing, it could be through music, it could be through volunteering, it could be through meeting people and helping people do things that empower you, that at the end of the day you come home, you say, I did something today that was an accomplishment. Now, if your mood mood be completely eclipsed, you may be in a bad mood, you may be not very confident, but the action, you're acting on what is really going on beneath the eclipse. And that helps precipitate and allow the emergence of that supermoon. The lessons go on and on in the personal application of the idea, but it's very clear that if you look at the moon and study it, especially events that have happened this week, you have lessons upon lessons that literally teach you about yourself, reflect back to you what you're like and what you're capable of. And recognize the great potential that your moon carries. And perhaps that's why God created a sun and moon in the first place. Yeah, we know they have their functions, but they have another function. They teach us things. In this case, the moon is a great teacher, and it's always there. The same moon that Moses saw in Egypt before the Jews left Egypt. The same moon that was there the fourth day of creation. The same moon throughout history. In the best of times and the worst of times, that moon that shined every night. When we look up into the sky, it's still there as bears witness. Heaven and earth bear witness. The sun and the moon bear witness. They bear witness that we have the capacity to endure anything. We have the resilience and we have the power to become even stronger after a setback. To take our weaknesses, to take our liabilities and turn them into great assets. So confidence is necessary. Mentors and healthy, objective people are necessary your own focus on your positivity necessary, and understanding the deeper dynamics, including the mystical dynamics of the moon in general, and specifically the eclipse. The Talmud says, uh, based on the story in the Bible, the Bible says that God created two luminaries, the sun and the moon, 
Two great luminaries. But then it says, Samoyer Agodel, which is the great big luminary, he designated for day, daylight, sunlight, and Moira Cotton, the small luminary, designated for night. So, of course, the obvious question is you just said they were both good and they're both great. How does someone's one become great and big and great and one small? So, the Talmud tells the story that the moon came to God and said, You've placed two kings in the heavens, but you can't have a king with two crowns. Or you can't have one crown with two kings. Two kings with a crown with one crown. You have to designate one leader. So God said, Really? Okay. I'll designate the sun. You go diminish yourself. But the Talmud continues and says, The moon, then God regretted that he caused the moon to be diminished. So he says, every Rosh Chodesh, every new moon, which is a reminder that the moon's waxing and waning that became a diminished luminary. God says, bring an offering to forgive me for forgiveness. God is asking forgiveness that I diminish the moon. So hundreds of pages have been written, if not thousands. What is going on here? God needs forgiveness. What hap- what's happening here? And the answer is because both sun and moon are great. Not necessarily they're great because they shine the same amount of intensity. The moon did not appreciate that. It thought that it needs to have the same energy like the sun. It was great initially because this is this was what's called the, the energy of giving and the energy of receiving. As I mentioned before, it takes energy to receive. The moon saw that as necessary, not necessarily as a quality. So God then said, if that's the case, you've already written your own verdict. You see yourself as diminished, so diminish yourself and you will not, and, and know that you are dependent now on the sun. Now the moon was initially also a recipient, but that was greatness, and now the moon did not recognize the greatness. It's like the student saying, I want to be the teacher. You want to be the teacher? Now recognize that you are subjugated to the teacher. But that's not the goal. The goal is that that so-called setback should cause the moon to want to appreciate what it really is. So God said, bring an offering. Because I never meant to diminish the moon. I was just telling the moon, this is what you brought upon yourself. Let us now do the healing, what the Kabbalists call the tikkun, the repair of the wound of the moon, the scar, the wound, the limp of the moon. And we do that by, by honoring Rosh Chodesh, the new, month, the new moon, by celebrating the moon. We, with Kaddish, we sanctify the moon every month. You don't find that by the sun. The sun, we only do it once in every, every, uh, every 29 years. Um, is it 29? 28 years. Uh, 20, see. I'm confusing it. Every 29 years. Yeah, every 29 years. Because the moon, there's also there's the concept of Birchus Hashem is the blessing of the sun. But the moon, every month. So the moon suddenly becomes the thing we sanctify. And it designates the holidays, the cycles of the moon. The sun designates the week days. Sunset, sunrise, morning, night. 
it designates the sea, the, the, the sun designates the, the cycles of the year, but who designates the, sea, the, the seasons are designated by the sun. But who designates the holidays? The 15th of the month is Passover. The 15th of the month is Sukkot. Other days are all designated by the sanctification of the moon. In the times of the temple, there were witnesses that actually witnessed the new moon. And based on that, they designated the new moon, the new month, and that determined when the holidays would take place. All by the moon, this diminished moon. But the diminishment led to appreciate its power, not the power of pure fire, the power of quantity, but the power of quality. And therefore the moon now will ultimately, as the prophet says, become like the light of the sun. And it will ultimately rise to its true prominence again when the world is, when we repair the wound, when we appreciate that the light of receiving is as strong, if not stronger, than the light of giving. Now, there are many lessons in this as well, and I just I need to limit it, obviously. But I hope what I shared here is enough for each of us to apply to our personal lives, especially in the context of taking your weaknesses and seeing in them the strengths that you can achieve. That's the ultimate goal. So may you all be blessed with having the minimal amount of setbacks <clears throat> and and however, when there will be one, to understand and appreciate, to see it through, to see it as a springboard to catapult us to heights and greatness that we could never have achieved without it. The moon in general, especially the eclipse of the moon in our personal lives. And again, anyone who's going through any particular difficulty and feeling weak, God bless you to have all the strength, but realize that even those moments are part of the journey. This is what we do at the Meaningful Life Center. Hopefully can give strength, resources, share with each other, and we also welcome your questions, your comments, your feedback, and you giving us strength as well. We're here every Wednesday. This program is, of course, archived and accessible at any time. Feel free to write to us, share, and we are all part of a larger mosaic May we all do our part in bringing that light to this world, whether it's the light of giving or the light of receiving, or it's this stage of our lives or that stage. It's all part of that cycle. Everyone be blessed, and I'll see you next Wednesday. Thank you.